You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible is Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. In today's program, Father Paul explains that Genesis, like all other books of the Bible, is part of a whole and cannot be understood until all the pieces are brought together. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. The phraseology of Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2 will not be fully grasped by the hearers until they have listened to the entire scripture. This reality cannot be swallowed by the theologians who want to find the immediate solution to every passage within its parameters as in philosophy. What is uttered is supposed to make immediate sense. They do not hear scripture, let alone listen to it by submitting to the entire story, the entire tracks of all its vocabulary until all the parts are brought together. They imagine that they can understand Genesis upon having finished it, forgetting that it is a part of a whole. Genesis, after all, is a prelude to Exodus in the same way as Deuteronomy is a prelude to Joshua and Judges, which are a prelude to Samuel that in its turn is a prelude to Kings. In the Hebrew canon, the last six books are part of a larger whole referred to as the prophets. They are not historical books. The scriptural literature was conceived right from the beginning as an integrated whole, just as the human body is. In medical school, acing the course of anatomy is of no practical value unless the student has mastered the course of physiology, which in turn prepares for the study of the symptoms of malfunction of the physiological functions of the organs in interrelation with one another. In order to realize not only the importance, but also the necessity of this process, one has to read the endless labels on the drugs that cover contraindications and side effects. The uniqueness of scriptural literature is that it is the first of its kind to cover the entire history of life on earth from its start in Genesis 1 to its conclusion in Daniel 12, or conversely, in Revelation 22. Any literary product that gives the impression it is doing the same is subsequent to Scripture and draws on it. Another reason, if not the main one, of this scriptural encompassing view of a beginning and an end is the result of an essential premise in the scriptural purview. I say premise because it cannot be proven from the outside as classical theology has tried to do in vain. And the premise is that the Elohim 
conceived in, or rather by, scripture, that is, by the scriptural writers, is unique in that its main ultimate function is the judgment of all members of all nations covering the inhabited scriptural world, the Syro-Arabian wilderness of Genesis chapters 2 and 3, and by extension, the entire world subsumed in the phrase the heavens and the earth of Genesis 1-1 through 2-4. Thus, the end judgment informs the entire scripture. That is why the rubble, tohu wabohu, product of divine judgment in scripture, is planted right at the beginning, bereshit, in the face, or rather ear, of the hearer to function as the setup scene for Elohim's intervention to make this rubble functional. In order to fully comprehend the matter, one is to wait for the book of the father of scripture, Ezekiel, when the restoration is presented in chapter 37 in a terminology reminiscent of Genesis chapters 1 and 2, even using the same terminology, almost verbatim. We shall see during the study of the rest of the vocabulary of Genesis 1 through 11 how Ezekiel informs more than any other book those chapters. Let me here just point out to my hearers a very striking feature of that book. Ezekiel is the only prophetic book that opens up with a reference to Elohim. In the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the week, as I was among the exiles by the river Kebar, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God, Elohim. Yahweh is introduced only in verse 3 in the phrase, the word of Yahweh. The mention of God after Oracle of in Habakkuk 1.1 is an addition not found in the original that has just Oracle. Again, the treachery of translations upon those who are reading them. KJV does not have it compared to RSV. It actually translates literally the original massa into burden. Very strange, but very interesting. Okay? So by combining, as I tell here, I would like to make an aside. I mean, people living in countries that use the English language have no excuse to be lazy. Many times I tell the people, you have a Bible study, let each cluster or two or three, or if you are only seven people, each one bring a different translation. We have so many translations in English, not to show off, but to allow the teacher to point out to the hearers the point. RSV has oracle of God and KJV has burden. 
not even of God. What is going on there? Note here, I would like to remind my hearers of what I said again about the double-edgedness of important scriptural words whereby their positive or negative connotation depends on the context in which it is used. Positive versus negative will be seen time and again during the discussion of scriptural terminology as I shall show you. So it is better to see the phenomenon in action, so to speak, and draw the conclusion at the end instead of dealing with it as an imposed premise. Perhaps it's the third time that I bring about positive, negative, good and evil and saying to wait until the end as opposed to an opening statement in your class. Let me give you the main references of what is good and what is bad. You can do that. So let's continue on this path and after having handled Bereshit and Bara, and Bara, we did it in conjunction of Tohu and Bohu, but my interest was Bara, I'm still in verse 1. Let's move to the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, created God the heavens and the earth. Although it is the couple, heavens and earth, that is the object complement of the verb Bara in the opening statement in Scripture, the immediately following verse 2 deals specifically with the earth, whereas the following mention of the heavens does not occur until verse 9. That's a scriptural datum. Earlier I showed the close relationship between tohu wabohu that describes the earth in verse 2 and the verb bara in verse 1. The place of priority, if not the eminence given the earth over the heavens, is readily explainable and stands to reason. It is the domain of the human beings, and here again, not just it's the domain of the human beings. That's a silly theological statement. It is the domain of the human beings who are the addressees and thus the hearers of the scriptural message. The vegetation does not hear the message. The animals do not hear the message. And that is the importance, is not per se and in se. Because this falls in the same trap in which people fall when you say, so Israel is special because it was chosen by God. That's not the point. It's the intention. The intention is that God speaking and something, someone has to hear. And later in Isaiah, he's so fed up of the human beings that he addresses himself, listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth. I love this opening of Isaiah. Because children I have reared, and they don't want to listen. It's very powerful. But logically, we realize that if the addressees are basically the human beings, Thus, the priority of the earth in the presentation. 
to make it immediately close to them. Unlike theology, the first chapter is the trinity before the creation and the interrelationship of these three people, and you take half of the semester. Actually, you know how you have elective courses on the trinity. I mean, it's silly. It has to be functional. And this has been imposed on us. Let me go to the Hebrew. And I discussed this, but it's good to bring it back. I mean, the sound bara is intentionally, it cannot be explained otherwise, introduced by the writer, and you cannot hear it except in Hebrew. The first three letters of Bereshit, which is one word in Hebrew, is Bet, Resh, Aleph. And the letters of Bara is Bet, Resh, Aleph. Many Jewish commentators point this out. So it is there that you can't hear in translation. Take the Arabic. It has, I mean, it could have managed it, but it's two different roots. And archi episen. But there you have bara and then bara. And that is very important because from the standpoint of the hearer, the functionality around him is the functionality of the earth. He doesn't live with the angels in heaven. But as we shall hear at the end of chapter 1, the three animals, human being and vegetation, are bound in one statement at the end of which you hear that God saw that it was very good. And that's no joke, and we're going to see it reflected in Genesis 1. So I'm a little bit jumping the gun to help my hearers to ease themselves a little bit and be ready to listen to what I'm saying. My statement, what I just said, is already obvious in Genesis chapters 2 and 3, where it is the man and his woman who are the main characters, followed by Cain, their son, in chapter 4. Okay, until chapter 4, you have the Adam, who appears already in Genesis 1, with his woman where they start talking. And then Cain in chapter 4, who is the first product of these two outside Eden. So we're still dealing with the scriptural humanity. This trend will continue starting at chapter 5 with the Bene Adam, the sons of Adam, the children of Adam in his Toledot. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.